Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Well, good morning and welcome to Watertown Evangelical Free Church. If you are visiting, uh, if this is your first time here, if maybe you're checking us out online and it's your first time, welcome. We are glad you are here. It's great to look out and see some smiling faces this morning. Uh, if you have not met me, I am Bruce Drugsma. I'm the senior pastor here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church. And we are here this morning to take some time to worship our Lord and Savior. So I'm going to open us a word of prayer and then we are... Uh, then we'll do some worship singing. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have this morning to gather in your house, Lord, to worship you. Would you meet with us here this morning? God, would you fill this space with your presence, with your spirit? Lord, we come before your throne and we worship you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for empowering our worship team. So thank you, worship team for leading us in worship this morning. And uh, that first song that was sang, it was, um, I don't remember the words to it, but either way, the first song we sang um, reminded me of my back home when I was growing up in uh, basically my Awana programming on Sunday mornings, my fifth grade. I was in fifth grade, and that song we sang about every Sunday, and we did actions to it. We were always just jumping up and down in the lower elementary Sunday school, basically, and we were always jumping and praising the Lord with that. And that leads me to my first announcement to where Witness is what We Youth is doing this summer, which it will be for 7th to 12th graders, and what we'll be doing from uh, July 7th to July 19th is we're going to be doing a VBS for the Mobile Home Park in Watertown. Riverside Terrace, which is just down the road, uh, we're going to be doing a VBS for them every single morning of that week, Monday through Friday, in order that we can reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is such a gift to share the gospel of Jesus to students, and that's why I invite any parents or students who are interested this morning to join me uh, in an interest meeting after the service at 11 o'clock. We'll be in the community room. If you don't know where that is, walk out these doors, take a hard left, and just walk straight, and you'll reach the community room. Either way, um, I just want to say this. I forgot to mention this to any of my staff because I, I didn't read about it till Friday. Um, but I w- we had a gospel response on our Sweet Tarts night, which was the Wednesday night, and it was a snow night. It was February 14th, Valentine's Day. Really hectic, really crazy. Um, I was really stressed. I was, like, after the end of the night, like, I was just wiped out. And I came back Friday into the office, and I was reading through our uh, decision cards. That I had them check boxes and write down a little response. And we had a student who made their first-time decision to follow the Lord, and I love that. And would you guys just clap for that? That's a, there's another person added to heaven, and it's such an amazing thing. And I just praise God for that. But if you're interested in uh, witness for 7th to 12th graders and parents, please join me in the community room after the service. And I'm going to pass it off to Ed, which he'll continue us in worship as he prays for us. So thank you. Amen. And good morning again. Uh, if you weren't here earlier when I introduced myself, I am Bruce Strugsma. I am the senior pastor here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church. And yes, welcome to those of you that are in person, those that are online. Um, I did see the dolls are here with their new baby. Um, the Clevengers had a baby. So we have a lot of uh, new life happening in our community. And as Luke shared, not just physically new life, but spiritually as well. So we're celebrating new life uh, 
in Christ as well this morning. Uh, so we are glad you are here, whether you're online or here in person. Thank you for joining us. But we are in the season of Lent, and this is the first Sunday in Lent, and Lent is that, that 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter where we prepare our hearts and our minds for what God is doing and has done on the cross for our sake. And so we are, we are in that time, and, and that 40 days should naturally bring to mind, it's, it's reminiscent of the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness before he started his ministry, which again goes back to why some people give things up for Lent. So I know there's some people in our congregation who have you know, decided to do that this year and give something up for Lent. I know some others who have not. Um, there's freedom in that, freedom in our church, freedom in Christ, um, but that's what we're doing, is, is whether you're giving something up uh, reminiscent of Jesus or whether you're not, we should be in that spot of preparing to hear from the Lord. And we're doing a series through this time that, that uh, I've called Broken. We're going to be talking about how sin has corrupted and broken everything. I mean, everything at some level is broken because of sin and its effects. They have broken our entire reality, and we can see those ramifications wherever we look. In fact, in some ways, sin has so distorted reality that we have no idea how distorted reality is because it is so normal to us to live in a world with sin that we forget that that wasn't God's intent. It's so normal to us. And we can get so caught up sometimes in trying to fix the symptoms of sin that we never really dig down and try and root out why it's there to begin with. We can get so wrapped up in the symptoms. We get these broken relationships. We get uh, broken behaviors. We get broken attitudes. And instead of digging down and going, why is this stuff here? We're so used to sin being a part of our life that instead we treat the symptoms. You know, like somebody who you know, never goes to bed on time and gets up early every morning. And instead of getting to the root issue of why don't I go to bed on time and get enough sleep, they treat their brokenness with coffee. I'm not naming anybody specifically who might have those kind of behaviors, who might drink too much coffee, but I'm just saying, you know, sometimes we treat the symptoms rather than digging down to the root. So this morning, I want, to look, I want us to look at the root of our brokenness, our sin, and our guide this morning will be Romans chapter 5. So uh, I'm going to reference some other passages as well, but if you want to join us, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be verses 12 through 19. Um, but that's where we're going we're gonna to live. And, and Romans as a book oftentimes is considered one of Paul's, if not Paul's, best book, at least one of his best. And there's a lot of theology that we take from the book of Romans. There's a lot of, of, of stuff that we hold as normal that is really laid out for us in the book of Romans. And so Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, a church he had not yet visited. Now, later on, he will, in chains as a prisoner, go and visit Rome. But at this point, he's not a prisoner. And he writes this letter to the church. And it's often looked at as his seminal work. And so it, it carries with it this authority and this weight and this impact. And yet, it carries with it a very simple gospel. While there is complexity and detail and nuance to it, the root of the gospel for Paul is still really, really simple. And so it still carries a lot of weight for us today. But with all of its complexity, it shares a simple gospel. 
that we are sinners in need of salvation. And so we're going to start this morning with that idea that we are sinners. We are sinners. And sin ultimately found us because of Adam. Sin finds us through Adam. Now, we don't like that idea. Especially in our modern society, we don't like the idea of being guilty of something because somebody else did something. We hate that. I remember when I was in elementary school, I, um, I got a brand new basketball. Um, I'm not a good basketball player. In fact, I played basketball for two years in elementary school. In those two years, I made one basket on the wrong hoop. So... I'm that bad at basketball, but I got a new basketball and I was really excited about having this basketball. Uh, And for reasons that I don't remember, probably because I forgot it at home on show and tell day and my mom dropped it off. But I knew it was waiting for me in the office. And so the whole class, we had a teacher, he went by the name of Mr. O, and uh, it was was a small school and he said, hey, um, you know, we're gonna take a break here between subjects, I'm gonna take you down to the gym, give you some free time in the gym, uh, so let's go. And I said, hey, Mr. O, can I go get my basketball so I can shoot hoops in the gym? He goes, absolutely, go get your basketball. So I go tearing off to the office. The rest of the class goes to the gym. I get my basketball from the office. I go into the gym, and lo and behold, the entire class, out of reverence for my new basketball, is standing there waiting for me to walk into the room. And so I walk in, and I'm excited, and in my joy and exuberance, I dribble the basketball and shoot a layup. I don't even remember if I made it. Let's just assume I did. Um, <laughs> I shoot a layup, and Mr. O goes, well, apparently Mr. Drugsma here does not think he needs to follow the rules, so we can all skip free gym time and head back to the classroom. Thank you very much, Mr. Drugsma. Because unbeknownst to me, while I was in the office getting the basketball, Mr. O realized that there was a group meeting on the other side of the thin barrier who asked him to please keep the students quiet until they wrapped up in five minutes. And I didn't hear that. And I came into the room and dribbled my basketball and we missed gym time that day because because of that. And I remember being so embarrassed and shamed by that. And I sat there going, I didn't know. And we're gonna see as we dig into Romans that that I don't know, I didn't know, doesn't cut it. But we've also, so some of us have been in, in, in my shoes in that situation. We go, well, come on, that's not fair. I didn't know. But we've also been in the shoes of all of my classmates where we followed the rules and we weren't dribbling a basketball and somebody else came in and dribbled a basketball and we got in trouble and had to miss gym time. Only potentially something even more significant than gym time. And we go, well, that's not fair. I followed the rules. See, we don't like this. We don't like this tension. We don't like, but this is a human reality. It's not just something we read about in scripture that we wrestle with and struggle with. It's a human reality that, that Paul is getting at when he, when he talks about this idea that sin finds us through Adam. And the reality is that we don't like it, but the truth is we all stand condemned whether we are the one who dribbled the basketball or not. We all stand condemned, Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And we don't like that. Well, that's not fair. 
That's not fair that I'm punished because of Adam's sin. That's not fair. That's not fair that I'm guilty that Adam did it. It's Adam's fault, not mine. Why am I guilty? And we get so focused on the that's not fair part that I think sometimes we miss the second part of that verse because how does it end? Because all sinned. You see, the reality is that if we, even if we were to take Adam's sin out of the picture, which we really can't, but even if we were, I don't think there's a single person in here that if I asked for a show of hands and said, who has sinned? I don't think there's a single person in here who would not raise their hand. The reality is we have all sinned and even our statement of faith in the free church says that we are in union with Adam. Human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under his wrath. Because we are sinners by nature and by choice. And so instead of getting too focused on Paul's argument that sin entered through Adam, which by the way, if we were to take that out of the picture, we'll get to this in a little bit, there's some really good news because of that. There is some good news coming. So don't get too focused on it because if you give up the bad news, you also don't get the really, really good news. And, and that trade-off will be worth it. But we don't get so fixated on that to forget that we are sinners by choice. We have, even though there are times where maybe we have done something unintentionally, there are also times where we have done things very much intentionally. And we are sinners by nature and by choice. And so there will be benefits to this connection with Adam that far outweigh the drawbacks, but I I don't want to get too far ahead. So before we leave this idea, let's remind ourselves of where this guilt comes from. Let's remind ourselves, how are we connected with Adam? And we see this in Genesis chapter 3. And if you don't know the story, Eve and Adam are in the Garden of Eden and they're standing before the tree of of knowledge of good and evil that God has told them you must not eat fruit from this tree. You can eat from any other tree in the garden, but not this tree. And they're standing there by the tree and the serpent comes along and he tempts them. And picking it up in verse four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And notice the true sin, the true root of our brokenness. The sin of of Adam and Eve is not desiring food. The sin of Adam and Eve is not desiring wisdom. The sin of Adam and Eve is desiring to replace God in their lives. I want to be like God. I want to be like God. And that's the mistake we make whenever we decide that even though God has said, don't do this, we look at it and we say, you know what, God? I'm going to do it. And sometimes we do that by nature and sometimes we do that by choice. But whenever we put something else on the throne of our lives, we make the same root sin of Adam and Eve of putting ourselves in that position of authority. That is our root. That is the root of our brokenness. That is our guilt. That is how sin finds us through Adam, is because we are sinners by nature and by choice. And we find ourselves putting ourselves in that position all the time instead of putting God in that position. And so we share those consequences of our sins too. 
The same way that Adam and Eve had consequences for their sin, we have consequences. And so, therefore, sin unites us in condemnation and death. More bad news. Because we are sinners by nature and by choice, we are united in condemnation and death. Adam and Eve, after sinning, God shows up in the Garden of, the Garden of Eden. He, he sees them hiding, and, and, and they are condemned. He has to drive them out of the garden. And we have the same kind of condemnation on our lives. It leads to condemnation and death. And we are also united with every other person in, in, in all of history, united in condemnation and death. None of us are sinless. And there is no third option. We're either perfect or we're united with Adam, sinful and condemned. There's no middle option, as much as I wish there was. But to clarify the matter further, Paul goes on in verses 13 through 14. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Now, this is a tricky passage, and it's tricky because, well, a couple of reasons. One is Paul. Paul is tricky. In fact, even later on in Peter, uh, the apostle Peter will write in his book, that you should read Paul's letters even though they're hard to understand. So we can say with confidence, well, good. I stand with Peter being confused by Paul. Sometimes it's good to be reminded that Paul was really, really smart. The other disadvantage we have is Paul wrote this in a different language. So we're getting a translation. And so some of your translations might say something a little different um, there. Some are a little better than others. But, but really what Paul is not saying is, hey, Ignorance is bliss. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, if you, if you don't know the law, then you're not condemned. In fact, he's saying just the opposite. And earlier on, and, and I apologize, I, I forgot to uh, send these verses to share to get them on the slides. That's my bad. But earlier on in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, he said this. So this is earlier in the same book. So he's already clarified this for the readers, but this is new information to us, Romans 2. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. So what he's saying is that whether we had the law or not, whether we knew it was wrong or not, there's still consequences. There's still consequences. I mean, think about it. We know that reality. How many of you have, uh, you know, been maybe driving a car, uh, like, through a town, and you failed to realize that in Wisconsin, uh, speed limits are a little lower than they are in Minnesota in town. Now, imagine you're driving through, and you think it's 30, and it's actually 25, and so you're going 30, thinking you're following the law, and you get pulled over, the lights flash behind you, and a police officer walks up to the window, and he says, did you know you were speeding? No. Oh, my bad. I'm so sorry. Please continue on your way. That, that's not how that works. They go, well, you are, whether you know it or not. And his point, Paul's point in Romans 5, is that, look, Adam died. Adam suffered the consequences of his sin, even though there was no written law. 
Just because it wasn't a written law, it still condemned him. He still died. So when Paul says sin is not charged, he doesn't mean that we are not in the wrong. He is stating that even though sin was not understood as an infraction against God, as a written law, they were still sinning. It still happens. We stand unified in condemnation even if we don't know. In the same way that when I dribbled that basketball, as unfair as it was, because I didn't know, the reality is there was still a law that we can't do that or we have to leave. My teacher, Mr. O, may have not been very gracious in how he communicated that to me, but he has still been told, you guys can be in here as long as nobody dribbles a basketball or is loud while this class in the next room finishes up. I didn't know that, but we still did it. And that seems really unfair, but we are never innocent just because we didn't know. We are still condemned. And so we are reminded here that while sin is the root of our issue with God, ignorance is no excuse. And as a result, we have the reality of death in our lives. Death entered because of the consequences of Adam's sin, and not just physical death. The real travesty of separation from God is not just dying physically. We are all going to die. But Paul will later say, for me to die is, is, is gain. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He's talking really more about the spiritual separation. That if we do nothing to resolve the effects of sin in our life, ultimately we will spend eternity separated from God, and that is the true death. That is the true consequence. We risk being eternally separated. The eternal separation from God for eternity. This is the death we must seek to avoid. Sin has broken our world and brought death and destruction in its wake. And all of us are unified in the consequences of that sin. But thankfully, our story and Paul doesn't stop there. Because he continues on and shares with us that grace finds us through Jesus Christ. Grace finds us through Christ. This is the solution to our brokenness. And so far, it's all been bad news, and now we start the good news, that there is another way. There is a way out, and that way out is Jesus Christ. Remember when I said earlier that we do not like to be assigned guilt based on other people. I said, but there is a trade-off here that is worth it. This is the trade-off. Romans chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespasses of the one man... How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of the righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So this is the upside. If we want that justification, if we want that free gift of grace from Jesus Christ, we have to acknowledge that we gained from Adam sin, but we get to trade it in. We get to trade it in, and it's an incredibly good trade-in deal. When I uh, graduated from college, my parents, as a graduation gift, gave me my first car. My first car was an 87 Chevy Nova that had no, by the time they gave it to me, 
It was in better condition when they bought it, but by the time they gave it to me, it had no parking brake. It was a manual transmission. So I carried a block of wood, and any time I needed to stop somewhere, I would stop, put it in gear, and then put the block of wood behind a tire to keep it from rolling away. The、uh, windshield washers didn't squirt anymore. So take a kind of wet, snowy day in Minnesota, and I would carry a Gatorade bottle with a sport squirt lid. With windshield washer fluid, and I would hand crank the window down, and reach out and squirt my windshield, and run the windshield wipers. There was a spot、uh, that a friend of mine insists he remembers looking through the floorboards and seeing the ground outside. My parents gave me this car, and my dad looked at me and he goes, "I don't know, maybe you'd rather get a piece of luggage, but we're giving you the car." <laughs> but I was grateful for it, and I showed up at、uh, my first church. And、um, one of the members of the church saw me pull up and park my car and reach out with my block of wood and chalk the tire and get out and go inside. And the next day, he showed up and he knocked on my door and he said,、um, "Get in your car and follow me." And so I get in my car, remove the block of wood, and get in my car and follow him through town.、Um, and we pull up to a, a, a car dealership, and he walks in and he goes. Let me do the talking. And we walk in, and he goes, "This is Bruce. He's the guy I told you about out there. You can see the car that I told you about. Now, tell me, what will it take for me to get out the door with a new car?" And that guy offered me a deal. He bought a car, and he said, "Bruce, I will give you this car on one condition: you trade in your old one. I will give you now. This is not going to sound like a great car, but in comparison, this was a fabulous car." He offered me to trade in my '87 Chevy Nova for a '98 Ford Crown Victoria, with power everything and a V8. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. I mean, I took the deal. Now, the reason that guy did it is because he knew that I would be driving his kids around for years to come as the youth pastor, and he did not want them in a car. With a myriad of issues, but that's a no-brainer trade. That's the same trade we're being offered here. We're being offered a phenomenal trade. If one man's sin can condemn all of us, he's saying, "Look, you can trade that in. You can give that up. You can take this free gift, and look at how much better it is. Not only is it eternal life, but the the death of one man, Jesus Christ, is so good it covers all the sin." One sin can condemn us all, but one death can cover every sin. This isn't trading in an '87 Chevy Nova for a Crown Vic. This is so much more than that, so far beyond that that we can't even compare it. And this is the crux of Paul's argument throughout the entire book of Romans. This is the simple gospel that he is preaching. He is preaching such a simple gospel that people over the years have taken to calling his message the Roman Road. The Roman Road to Salvation, and it's a series of verses that, if you walk through it, lays out what the trade is. Romans three twenty three: For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans six twenty three: And the wages of that sin is death. That's what we've gained. That's what we've earned. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans five eight: But God demonstrates His own love for us in this: while we were still sinners. Christ died for us, and then Romans ten. If you declare with your mouth, 
Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That's the opportunity laid before us. Here we have inherited through Adam and through our own actions the consequences of sin, which is death. And Jesus, through his death on the cross, is offering us an alternative. And so for those of us in the room who have heard this before and responded to this before, let this moment be a moment where you get to reevaluate, how are you living that out? Are you living like a new person? Are you living like somebody who is no longer enslaved to sin? Or are you treating it like a get out of jail free card? But for some of you in this room, maybe this is the first time you've heard something like this. And I would encourage you to consider this today. You have an opportunity to trade in death and gain everything. And what an incredible trade. And it gives you the recipe. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Which is the same message that Jesus first preached, repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's, 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 the, that's how you trade it in. That's how you take the offer. And so where we are unified in death, now grace unites us in justification and life where we were united with everybody in sin and consequences and death, now we are unified with everybody who has professed faith in Jesus Christ. We are now unified in justification and life. If sin through Adam brings condemnation and death, then Jesus Christ brings us justification and life. We find the opposite in him. Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, So also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many are made righteous. We find justification and life through Jesus Christ, but only if we take it. It's a gift sitting out there for us, but only if we take it. Instead of having our sin and consequences placed on us, we gain his standing, Jesus Christ's standing. We gain his standing. Now the righteousness of Christ, his perfection and sacrifice places on us his righteousness. Before, when we got credit for the sins of Adam, we now get credit for the righteousness of Christ. Where we before read Genesis 3 to remind us of our separation, I now read to you from Matthew 4 to remind us who we are united with. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, 
do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. And so here we see a significant contrast between Adam and Jesus. We see a parallel, but a contrasting parallel, where Adam and Eve saw what was tempting, and even though they were full, looked for more. And where we see Adam and Eve looking at it and seeing something as desirable, even though they had everything, they wanted more. And even though Adam and Eve looked at it and said, ultimately, I want to be like God, Jesus, having set aside the glory of heaven, said, serve the Lord only. We see a clear contrast in Jesus to the way we are supposed to respond. How do we respond when we are tempted? While Adam had food all around him, he still saw the temptation of the fruit. His base desires led the way. Do you rule your emotions or do your emotions rule you? When you look around and go, it's not fair. When you look around and go, I want more. Who is ruling who? Adam fell for the line that God's word was not true. Did God really say that? Is where Satan starts his temptation. And for for Jesus, the abuse of scripture by Satan where it says God's word says that you will experience no harm, which is not what he said. That's not what God said in the Psalms, but that's how Satan twists it. Where Adam listens to that temptation and questions God's word, Jesus relies on it. So in your trials, do you rely on God's word or do you question it? And Adam's significant sin, remember, was to replace himself with God. And are we still tempted or do we like Jesus and we are far less than him, right? Look at the world and say, I might not understand God what you're doing, but I'm not gonna try and take your spot on the throne of my life. Where Adam and Eve said, I would like to be like God. Jesus in humility, being God, said worship him and him alone. That is our parallel. And that is who brings us justification. And that is who we want to be aligned with. So choose you this day who you will align with. See Christ as your example. Remind yourself that you are united with him in justification and life rather than with Adam in death and condemnation. So finally this morning, a final reminder. Where God's grace can cover over a multitude of our sins, Paul warns us in the next few verses that doesn't give us an excuse to take sin lightly. Romans 6, 1 and 2, and then 12 and 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, 
but under grace. So as we end this morning, I challenge you, if you truly want to be unified with Jesus Christ and united with him, instead of Adam, we have a choice to make every day. Are we going to live as people who are under the law? Or are we going to live as people under grace? Knowing that there are going to be times still where we screw up, where we make mistakes, but we know there's forgiveness there. Or are we going to continue to try and put ourselves on the throne? As we ended Judges last week, choose you this day. We always have a choice before us, and while we won't do it perfectly, we must continue to seek to be under grace and not under the law. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time of year. God, I thank you for Lent, the time when we get to, um, Lord, remember our brokenness and remember our sin, but Lord, more importantly, remember your sacrifice and death on our behalf. God, as we go this week, help us to choose to be under grace, to offer grace freely to others as you have so freely given it to us. And so, Lord, we turn to you in repentance and with gratitude for your justification. I pray this in your name. Amen. As we end this morning, uh, once again, like we did last week, if you would like somebody to pray for you, there'll be some elders up here by the cross. Feel free to come forward. You can pray with them. Um, seek that out. From 2 Corinthians, our benediction this morning, chapter 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.